Well, uh, I know Rick does it sometime. I'll try it this time. See how many of you were uh, paying attention. The last hymn we sang, what was the main topic? Love. Who's love? Right, good. Right. And uh, the topic for the, uh, the uh, message today, as we turn to Acts, uh, we'll start at the end of, of chapter 21 and we'll go through to chapter 22. Really the background for it is the love of Christ. The love of Christ to Paul, the love of Christ to the people Paul is speaking to, the love of Christ to us as we're applying it, and the love of Christ to people we're trying to reach with the gospel. Really, they should be somehow the dominant thought that stays in your mind as we delve into the details of the message. So having said that, let's turn to Acts chapter 21. And starting at verse 37. And, was, and as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago raised an insurrection and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Men and brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they had heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the most silent. We'll stop there for the moment. So if you uh, remember what happened before, we saw Paul come to Jerusalem with this gift. And while he was uh, purifying himself in the temple which was to help resolve some uh, differences, perhaps, with local believers. He is uh, laid hand upon by some Jews from Greece, and they accuse him to the people and saying, this man does not stop to teach against his people, against the law, against this place, the temple. And uh, the people grab Paul, and they carry him out, and they're going to kill him. And in the nick of time, the Romans show up. They literally snatch him out of their hand, trying to bring some law and order into the scene, and uh, they, they're carrying Paul to the barracks. And that's where we are in verse 37 when it says, and as Paul was being led into the barracks. The barracks was uh, probably a, a compound in Antonia Fortress. It was a Roman fortress really built right next to the temple in the old city of Jerusalem. Well, Paul is asking to speak to the commander of the Romans that are leading him away. And the commander is asking him, can you speak Greek? And then we see that the commander is kind of confused. He thinks that Paul is this notorious criminal that led uh, 4,000 assassins, we would probably use the word terrorists today, into the wilderness. And you know, why is he having such a, a strange idea of how, who Paul is? Well, it's because of the way Paul is being treated by the people. I mean, he's being carried out and beaten up. They obviously hate him. They want to kill him. And... You know, the Roman commander doesn't know who he is. He must be the worst man in Jerusalem. Otherwise, why is, is he being treated in this way? Okay, that should give us an image of how badly Paul was being treated by these people. Yet, 
Paul is asking to speak to him, once he has an audience with him, he begs, he implores permission to speak to these people. And that's the first question that, that should come to our mind. Why? I mean, he was, he's, he's been doing the Lord's will, you know, already had a long day of it, you know, being at the temple, being purified. Now there's, you know, he's, he's being, in the process of being lynched, you know, persecuted in the worst way, he's saved. You think, okay, let's take a breather. You know, we'll, we'll go with the Romans to the barracks and, you know, maybe everything will calm down and I'll have a chance of getting out of this place. I mean, if I was in Paul's place, I might be thinking like that. But Paul is like, no, okay, there's something I, I need to do here. Why? Okay, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. This is the last epistle that Paul has written before this time. He's going to write other epistle later. Actually, um, so it's just one book to your right hand, uh, the book of Romans, and chapter 9. And this is a section, chapter 9 through 11 in the book of Romans, really deals with the nation of Israel. Paul is, is going to tell uh, the Romans some things about the nation Israel, and he really starts by, by trying to communicate how he feels about them. And, and that will help us understand why he wants to talk to them at this point. So Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What Paul is saying here is he loves the Jewish people so much that it's a continual source of sorrow in his heart, a great heaviness, like a burden that you sometimes carry with you. Well, Paul always carried this burden in his heart. And that burden was for the nation of Israel. Why? Because they were without Christ. They were headed to an eternity without God of suffering and shame and everything that's going to happen in hell. And that knowledge that that's where they were heading. And they were not receiving what, what God has sent to them in the Messiah, in Christ, was just a source of grief to him. And he says even this. He says in verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. It's hard to believe it, but what Paul is saying, if, if by me going to hell, these people would choose Christ and would go to heaven, I'm willing to let that happen. And it's such an incredible statement that Paul starts his whole section by saying, I know it's going to sound impossible, incredible, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth in Christ. My conscience is bearing witness. I'm telling you the truth. The Holy Spirit with my conscience is bearing witness because it's such an incredible statement of his love to them, and yet it's true, and he wants to communicate. So here's Paul's been. He wrote this letter probably a few months before this time in Jerusalem, and, and his heart is burning for the Jewish people, and they've just been almost finished killing him, and the Romans are taking him away, and he's saying, stop. There's something I want to do here before you take me away. And that's what we'll see Paul doing at this time. We'll see him trying to reach them for Christ. Trying to make one more appeal to try to save them. And even though that's, they've, they've been hurting him and trying to kill him, all he really wants is their good. He wants to see them saved. That's why he's stopping the Romans from taking him to the barracks. Alright. So, 
So we're about to see, well, and, and let me go ahead and stop there too, because I'll, I'm going to start talking about the way in which Paul is reaching out to them. And we'll describe it as a, a technique, if you would, as a method he's using to try to save them, which we'll certainly want to learn from. But really the most important thing we could learn from Paul in this passage in reaching people for Christ is having love for them. If you don't have a love for them, it's very unlikely God will be able to use you to save them. And here's, here's at the very least why. Okay, 90% of the time, probably 99%, you will gain no advantage whatsoever from bringing somebody to Christ, but it's going to cost you something. I remember when I first started coming to Calvary, and Rick had me once over to his house and, and for dinner and, and talked with me a little bit to see where I was, you know, was I... Did I have any interest for the things of God, or was I only there because, you know, there was a pretty girl that was going there from Berkeley, too? And Rick, as he explored a little bit, found that, you know, I did have some interest in the things of God. And, and so Rick uh, asked to come over and see me in Berkeley, and he would drive to Berkeley, did it at least a couple of times that I remember, uh, before I was saved. And, you know, that wasn't exactly on Rick's way, you know, from work to home. You know, there, there was a certain expense that had to be paid. If Rick didn't have enough love there to do that for me, I wouldn't be here today. Okay? It wasn't perhaps as much love as Paul is demonstrating here, but there has to be something. If there's nothing in your heart for a person, God is not going to be able to use you to save them. So really, after I talk about the method, when it comes down to the, the most important thing you need, the most important thing you need to have in order to save someone is a love for them. Some level of true concern for their spiritual welfare. Okay, well, let's, let's start looking at Paul, and, and let's, you know, why, why are we using Paul as an example? Well, for one thing, it's here in the scriptures. For another thing, think about it, Paul has been preaching uh, for Christ for years. He's been used by God to save many people, planting churches across a, a wide swath of the Roman Empire. If you want somebody to learn from as to how to share the gospel with people, how to try to reach them from Christ, you're not going to find a much better example for, you know, than Paul is. So we want to look at him as an example. And uh, so let's, let's start with that. So we actually run into the first good example in, in verse 40. It says this about Paul. So when he had given him permission, so the Roman, the Roman commander gave him permission to speak to the people. It says, Paul stood on the stairs, so he's in a high place, in a stairwell, above where the people are gathered in a city center, city square, and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. There's at least three or four different ways it describes here as Paul trying to get their attention. Okay, for one thing, he's standing in a high place where they can all see him. Another is he's motioning with his hand. He's trying to get their attention, okay? It can't be more plain than that. Uh, next, it says, when a, there was a great silence, he waited. He didn't start speaking immediately. He waited there to be silent. Okay, fourth, he's speaking to them in the Hebrew language. And, I mean, it makes a special point of it here, the fact that he's speaking to them in the Hebrew language. He's really trying to speak to them in the language that they're going to understand, that's going to be closest to their heart. I might understand English, but there's some things that might mean more to me in Hebrew, just because that's the language I grew up with. And Paul is making really every effort to gain their attention for the gospel. And that's important when you're sharing with somebody. We say, and it's true, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. 
But there's a key that believe. They're not listening to you. They're not understanding what you're saying. They're not going to believe. It's not going to do them any good. So if you're sharing the gospel with someone, make sure that they're somewhat ready, that they're, they're listening to you. Don't just talk at them. Make sure that there's an interest there, some sort of response, before you just continue sharing the gospel with them. You don't get it by osmosis. My mom believed when she was young, going to college, I don't know if anybody else did here, before she uh, took an exam, she had an exam, she would take the textbook and put it under her pillow. And she would sleep on it, thinking, you know, maybe somehow it'll help. <laughs> it doesn't work. Okay, you have to read it for it to help you. It doesn't come by osmosis. The same with the gospel. Someone has to be interested in listening for it to really sink in and do them any good. All right, next thing we see. Okay, let's continue now. Uh, let's see, I'm skipping anything. One more thing. One more thing about really the introduction here. Notice how he calls them in verse 1 of chapter 22. He says, men, brethren, and fathers. If we were from the outside and we, we kind of viewed Paul's life and their life, we'd say, you know, Paul is really a man of God. He's, he's a great man. These people are really terrible people. Look what they're doing to Paul. You know, we'd almost expect Paul to, you know, call them, you know, murderers and rebels. Listen to me. <laughs> no, he calls them men, brothers, and fathers. Okay? He's, he's treated, treating them as no worse than him. And in fact, by calling them fathers, to some extent, he's showing them more honor than he places on himself. And, and we sometimes, I know for myself, I sometimes have this, this wrong uh, attitude when I'm sharing the gospel with someone and this feeling that I'm somehow superior because I know the gospel or I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and they're not and therefore I must somehow be better than them. But it's not true. There's nothing that I have done that, that uh, makes me, uh, gives me more value before God than these people. I haven't... There's nothing I've done because of which I'm going to heaven. Jesus did everything. If Jesus did everything that is what distinguishes me from them, why am I thinking that I'm somehow better than they are? You know, if, if there's anything good happening to me, it's because of what Jesus did, not because of what I did. And that's the way Paul thinks about it. He, he says this to Timothy once. He says, this is a faithful saying that Jesus, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am chief. That's how Paul looked upon himself. I am the chief of sinners. I'm not going to look down at anyone. I'm going to look up at everyone. That, that was Paul's attitude. And it's crucial if you're going to share the gospel with someone, reach to someone, you can't have this, this strange sense of superiority as if you're somehow better than them. Because you're not. And because it's going to be counterproductive to trying to reach them for Christ. Okay, so let's uh, continue reading in verse 3. Paul is saying here, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus, of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from which I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Okay, well, uh, first we, we could perhaps note that Paul is not sharing with them by opening a passage of Scripture and preaching to them. You can. You can certainly meet with somebody and open the Scriptures to them and, and try to teach them from the Scriptures. 
Uh, Charlie and I uh, used to hold a stranger class together where we didn't use the scriptures even, but a book that uses the scriptures to help people understand the gospel. And there's nothing wrong with that. But really, one of the best ways of sharing Christ with people is telling them how you've come to know Christ. They, the word we use for that a lot of time is testimony. But really what it is, is we're telling them how I personally, the experiences and the things that God communicated to me that brought me to him. And the great value of that, I remember when I was getting interested in becoming a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian yet, it seemed like there was this barrier. You know, here was I, an unsaved person. Here was a Christian, a saved person. And how do I get from here to there? It wasn't, you know, it was like these two peaks in a, you know, with a valley in between that was dark, and I just couldn't see what lay. What did it take to bring a person from being an unsaved person to being a saved person? I didn't know. Well, when you're sharing your testimony, you're basically telling them the path that you took in order to be saved. And in a sense, it's, you're giving them direction. You're telling them how to become saved by telling them your story of how God saved you. So, so that's the approach Paul is using. Well, the first step really is he's describing, describing himself before he was saved. He's telling them how he used to be. Well, he used to be just the way that they were. He was a Jew like them. He was... Uh, Brought up at Tarsus, but uh, it was born in Tarsus, but was brought up in the city, the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a famous Jewish teacher. So Paul was taught all the things that a good Jew needed to know. And he believed in them. And Paul, like them, was uh, zealous. Uh, he was zealous for the things of God. So he was, he was a law keeper, like them. And, and this was the, the basic Jewish religion of those days. Well, number one, you're in a good place because you were born a Jew. And that's very important because the Jews are God's chosen people. I mean, that's what they're thinking. There's a truth to it, but not in the way they looked at it. To them, it was, this already is a mark in your favor before God, the fact that you were born a Jew. Second is, you know, you, you keep the law. God gave us the law. Moses gave us the law. If you obey the law, you're going to be right with God. It's, gonna, it's going to keep you from being punished by God. Number three, you need to do the mitzvot. Mitzvot, that's, that's a good work. And if you're doing good work, that will also help you get to heaven. So you had these three things going for you. you. You were born a Jew, you're going to keep the law, you're going to do good works, you're going to be zealous for God. You're going to do the things that you believe God wants you to do. And that's the way Paul was. Now, we'll see as Paul is sharing this testimony, and it, it's uh, his story, and you can compare it. He, he shares it in other places in the book of Acts. And this one is somewhat different than the other ones. Actually, they're all somewhat different. And and you might want to ask yourself, why? Well, I know the answer because I know the way I used to be. I used to, when, when someone would ask you, how did you become a Christian? I would go into this long explanation, and I would hit every point, everything that happened to me that I thought was somehow important in bringing me to God. And about an hour later, if you bore with me, <laughs> and you went, you know, bored out of your mind, you know, you might, you know, kind of get an idea of what I thought was important in God bringing me to Him. Well... The problem with that is most people don't have that patience. And second of all, the things that I consider to be important in coming to God may not be important to other people. For example, I was an atheist. And I had some particular philosophical arguments against the existence of God. And God had to overcome those philosophical arguments and showed me I was wrong before I was able to move further toward God. Well, you may not never been an atheist, or if you were an atheist, you probably had different arguments against the existence of God. So me spending 10 or 15 minutes explaining to you how God convinced me that he was real might be completely uninteresting to you. Okay, it's not going to do you any good. So 
I've learned since, when I'm sharing my story, how God brought me to himself, to think of the other person that's asking me, and really where they are at, and the things that might really be important to them that God did in my life. I don't make anything up. I'll tell them the truth. But I'm going to skip certain things that are just not interesting to them and not going to help them anyways. And that's what Paul is doing. So he's emphasizing things in this passage that this particular audience needs. And that's why he goes into such a length to describe how he was a Jew just like them so that they realize he had the same starting point as they did. They shared this this uh, experience or background. And that makes it especially useful because if you're going to give someone directions on how to get from point A to point B, I'm sorry, if you want to give somebody direction how to get somewhere, well, you need to start a direction in a place that they already know. If, if uh, Tom wants to give me directions to Yosemite, and he starts uh, you know, somewhere in Tracy, well, that's not going to help me if I don't know how to get to Tracy. And so Paul really has to start where they are at. And when we're sharing our testimony with people, it's really best if you can start and, and share in a way that they can relate to where you started. And there's going to be some relationship. For one thing, you're a man or a woman, a human being, and they are. And most of the time you'll find your religion will be similar to theirs. You, you believe there's certain good things that you had to do in order to get to heaven, and so, so will they. You'll find there's really going to be a lot in common between you and another person you're sharing with. And it's, it's useful to start in a place that they can recognize when you're sharing your testimony. Okay. Um, we will see, I don't want to spend too much time on it as we go through, but we will see Paul will many times appeal to evidence, as he does here. He says, uh, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of the elders. These were the highest authorities in the Jewish world. And Paul say, these people know that what I'm telling you here is true. Now the reason people, the reason Paul needed to keep pointing to those is he was already standing as accused by the minds of the people that were listening to him. He really had a barrier to overcome, which hopefully you won't find yourself in, at least not too often. Hopefully you're sharing with someone, and he's giving you the the, uh, uh, credibility of being another human being with valid experiences, and he's going to take you at his word, unless you, you know, tell some really strange stories. So generally speaking, you can just share your testimony. In Paul's case, he had to appeal to evidence, because these people already had a mind against him. Okay, and so we'll see. He appeals to evidence here, and he'll really appeal to evidence throughout as he goes through his story of how he came to God. Okay, let's continue reading in verse 6. Now, as it happened, I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. So the, first, the next thing that Paul shares with us, he was on his way to Damascus, not with us, he was sharing it with the people there that uh, were listening to him. He was going to Damascus, all of a sudden a bright light shone around him, and he heard a voice coming at him, and the voice said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul knows that this is God talking to him, because he says, 
who are you, Lord? He has this instinct. And you can understand that if, if you are walking and a light shines from heaven so bright it knocks you off your feet and he's going to be blind coming out of this experience. And, and there was other things in there because the people with, with Paul that, that couldn't hear what the voice was telling him, Paul says they were afraid. There was a presence there. You will assume it was God talking to you. And, and really all of the people listening to Paul would assume the same thing, especially being Jews. Usually the thought of God was the Shekinah glory in the temple between the cherubim. And that was light. God manifested himself in, in pure light. And so, so Paul realized this is God talking to him. And what is God saying to him? Good job, Paul, for going to Damascus and getting those Christians that I want you to be getting. That, that, that's what Paul was thinking. He was thinking he was going to Jerusalem to fulfill God's will. But the voice tells him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? That was God. God was telling him, Paul, you're not serving me. You're attacking me. You're not right with me. You're my enemy. This is what, what God was communicating to Paul, really blowing Paul's mind. Is that a right expression? <laughs> you know, I mean, he was thinking he was serving God all this time. And here God is telling him, no, you're as far from serving me as you can imagine. All these things you thought you were doing for me, you were doing against me. So this was really God's opening his mind. Now, this is what we will call the bad news. <laughs> the bad news is that you're not right with God. And it doesn't matter what ways you think justify you before God. Paul thought it was because he was a Jew, he was keeping the law, he was zealous for God. He thought all these things made him right with God. And, and the truth, he wasn't. And it's, it's going to be the truth with Whoever you are that's listening to me and whoever it is that you're sharing to, it doesn't matter what ideas you have that justify you before God. At the beginning, you are going against God. You are not with God. You need to hear the bad news before you can understand the good news that is going to come and that will come later. The first thing that's necessary is the bad news. You're not right with God, which means you're sinning against God, which means the wages of sin is death and the soul that sins shall die. And death isn't just separation from this body, which will happen either way, but it's going to be an eternity without God. And this is the way Jesus described it. He described it as this is going to be a place of darkness, of weeping, and gnashing of teeth, and it's never, ever going to end. That's where you're going to spend eternity. That's the bad news, and that's what Paul was getting at that experience, that he was apart from God. Now, this is one of those things that really God needs to do in a person's life. And obviously, in Paul's case, it was God in a very visible way doing it. But you'll find that will have to happen with people that you're sharing with. I remember Rick uh, came to me graciously and uh, talked with me. And, and he spent some very profitable time for me, really showing me Christ from the Scriptures, the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. And he did recognize that I had an issue with not recognizing the bad news. And he spent some time with me pointing out from uh, the passage in Romans 1, Romans 1 that I was a sinner. And I had to agree, intellectually, there was no escape. I could tell from the scriptures that I was a sinner. But for some reason, my heart resisted. It was an intellectual understanding, but it wasn't a heart understanding. And that didn't come until a few months later when I was in a Bible study. And in that Bible study, God finally opened my eyes. And he showed me that because of my sins, I was in trouble with him. And I understood that moment, all of a sudden, that I was really in trouble. 
And until you realize you're really in trouble, it's not just some intellectual understanding, oh yeah, A plus B equals C, and therefore I'm a sinner, but you realize that in your heart, you're not going to be ready for the next step. It's interesting to notice that Paul doesn't get the good news here. Paul asks him, what shall I do? You could almost think God could have shared with him the good news then, but he doesn't. He sends him to Damascus. It's not going to be till three days later a man shows up and tells Paul the good news. And that's, that's really just another evidence. It takes real time. This is real work to bring people to the end of themselves. And uh, I checked this with Michael right before uh, I came in this morning because I wanted to see if I remembered right. But uh, I was working with Michael, and I shared with him the bad news probably about six months before I shared with him the good news because God really still needed to do work in his life. And it wasn't until that work was completed that I was really able to share the good news with him. And uh, it's a temptation to go ahead with the good news, but sometimes if a person doesn't really understand the bad news, it's not going to do a whole lot of good to share the good news with them at that point. Okay, well now Paul is ready for the good news, and so it's going to come, continuing in verse 11. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's interesting that it was God that shared the bad news with Paul. Now it's going to be a man that shares the good news. Paul describes it this way. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's the treasure of the gospel. We know the gospel. It's the gospel that saves people from an eternity of damnation to an eternity of, of heaven. And it's, it's a message, it's a simple message, and we know it. And if you know it, then you, you have this treasure in you because you can share it with other people. It's like having the cure for cancer in a world where everybody is dying from cancer. It's a treasure that you have. And God has given it to you to share with people. And it, it's, it's amazing, and it should encourage us to, uh, to be out there and doing exactly that. And so this man comes to Paul, and he says... Uh, First of all, uh, he gives Paul his sight back. So if you need a confirmation this man is from God, you have it right there. Uh, and next, he, he shares with him the good news. He says, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Remember, Paul should be expecting at this, at this point an eternity of damnation. And this man is coming to him and say, Well, God has other plans for you. The plans he has for you is for you to know his will. That is, to know him. God, instead of going to spend eternity in hell, God wants you to have a relationship with him, to come to know him. He's going to be able to get to see Christ. And that's one of the things we're promised in heaven, is that we will get to see him. This one that came to save us, this one who, who really is all the treasure in heaven. If you're not going to heaven to see Christ, you're going in heaven for a vain thing, because he's the center. 
Here's the, here's the most wonderful thing that exists. Here's the reason that you were created. And what Ananias is telling Paul is you're going to get to see him. You're going to get to know him. You're going to get to hear him. You're going to get to serve him. That's what it means to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're now part of his kingdom. You're going to get to know him. That's the good news. The good news is instead of going to hell for eternity, you're going to be in the kingdom of God for eternity. You're going to have a relationship with God. Now, uh, there's, there's uh, a key word here that really helps bringing the, the gospel out. It's interesting, the choice of words in verse 14. Paul is told, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. I think it, it might be the only place where that's the particular title that's given to Jesus. He is called just in other places. Uh, there's a good verse where it says, um, see if I have it here so we don't have to turn to it. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The Jews had an opinion of Christ. So, <clears throat> everyone in Israel would know that Jesus was crucified. They would know that he has been put to death. And to them it was, the, the conclusion is, well, Jesus was put to death because he was a criminal. He was pretending to be the Messiah, but he wasn't. That's why on the cross they said, if you are the Christ, the Savior of Israel, save yourself and come down from the Christ and we will believe in you. To them, the fact that he died was evidence that he wasn't right with God and therefore they were right to persecute him and they were right to persecute the Christians. Well, now Paul is told, that Jesus was just. He did not do anything that is wrong. And so the question that that brings to mind, well, if Jesus was just, if Jesus never did anything wrong, why did he die? It says that the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. But Jesus never sinned. How can a person who has never sinned be put to death? How can God allow something like that to happen? Well, there's only one explanation, and that's the one that the Gospel gives. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the just dying for the unjust. We deserve to die. And God in his mercy took our sins and placed them on Jesus. And as the sin bearer, Jesus deserved to die. And that's why Jesus was dying on the cross. So the very fact that Jesus is just proves that what Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, it was for you, for you, and for me that he was dying on the cross. Now, the good news was shared with Paul but there's something missing. In verse, in verse 16, it says this, And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What was missing is Paul was waiting. And uh, what, what this uh, reminds me of, it reminds me of, of what God used to save me, and this is an experience that I had, so you'll have to forgive me. I'm not going to pull it out of Scripture but this is my real-life experience. So you remember that I mentioned that it wasn't until several months later at a Bible study that, that God showed me, made me to understand that I was in real trouble before God. And uh, it was, I, I, I hope people don't look at me strangely when I say that, but it was kind of like a daydream or a whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> in which I found myself uh, standing in a courtroom that was not necessarily bigger than this room. And I was the accused. 
and God was the judge. And before God was the book of my life. And that's when I realized I was in trouble. Because <laughs> I realized God was going to judge me based on my life. And at that moment, I knew my life wasn't right. And I realized I was in trouble because of it. And it was as if somebody in the back of the courtroom stood up and said, I'm willing, willing to pay for the sins of that man. And, and you never hear a swiddle music to your ears than something like that. But there was something missing because it was a strange thing. Is that something that's going to be held in court? Because Tom knows that's not going to be held in court here. If somebody stands up in the back of the courtroom willing to switch, forget it. And you might be put in jail for being in contempt of court. So you have to be careful how you take offers like that. You, you probably couldn't. And, and I remember something like turning to God to ask if, if that was acceptable, if that, if, that, if that would be okay with him. And it was as if God asked me, is that acceptable with you? And uh, it sounds kind of strange, and it reminds me, though, of, um, I, I like listening to book of, on tapes, especially now that they have a longer commute to go on. And uh, we've recently listened to this story of a, a, a man that was accused of uh, selling nuclear secrets to China. And uh, there was a lot, you know, media circus going around him and all kind of politicians accusing him. And at the end, it turned out they didn't really have a, much of a case against him. But he was put in prison. Uh, awaiting trial for about uh, three-quarters of a year. And at the end, as, as they go through the case and all, he, he was accused of something like 50 crimes that for each of them, the penalty would have been like life in prison or something like that. So there he's sitting in, in jail, expecting who knows what, what's going to happen to him. But his defense was able to settle for him because the they, uh, prosecution didn't really have much of a case. His, his lawyers were able to basically settle it down to a single count of, of a relatively low-level crime that basically would, would amount to whatever time he already served in jail. So once it basically was a plea, got, a plea bargain, plea bargain. It was basically a plea bargain that lets him walk out. That's basically what it was. But so, so there was this deal was made, and, and so he sat in the court, and the judge basically turns to him and says, do you understand what this plea bargain is? And do you agree to it? And that's, that's kind of where it clicks in. God wants us to be involved in our salvation to that level. We have to agree with him. We have to agree that we're sinners. We deserve to go to hell. And that was one of the things that he, this guy had to agree to. He had to agree, yes, I did do something wrong. And okay, I'm willing to say that the time I already spent in jail, you know, makes it go away. Okay? We have to agree with God that we are sinners. And we have to agree with God that the only thing that's going to get us out of the sentence of going to hell is what Jesus did for us. We have, we have to accept that. Yes, that's my plea bargain. My plea bargain of not going to hell, Jesus did it all. <laughs> I'll plead that. Uh, so, so basically, that's what, what Ananias is telling uh, Paul to do here. You know, why are you waiting? Do this. You know, agree with God. Agree with God. Accept what Jesus has done for you. And uh, some people are disturbed because he talks about being baptized and washing away your sin. Well, the, the, Paul's audience wouldn't have been confused by it. It's really about identifying. What Paul would be doing by being baptized and calling upon the name of the Lord, it's really just an outer declaration that, yes, he's making this plea bargain with God. He's identifying with Christ. What Christ did for me and nothing else, that's what I'm trusting in. 
That's, that's what Paul was demonstrating by being baptized. And that's what you have to do to be saved. You, you have to come and agree with God on that issue. Okay, quickly now, let's uh, finish up, continuing in verse 17. Then it happened, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance, and saw him say to me, Make haste and get out out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you, And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. What's happening here? And that's kind of... You know, again, another question that comes up as we, we read this text. In all of the other cases, Paul finishes testimony in Damascus. This is the only one he finishes his testimony in Jerusalem. And again, he's doing it for their good. Okay? And it, does, it seems like not because it's getting them all upset. But Paul wouldn't be doing it if this wasn't for their good. Remember how much he loves them and wants to see them saved. The reason Paul is doing it is because he knows them. He's been preaching to Jews up and down that area of Greece and Turkey, and this was a point of stumbling to them, which he can agree with because he used to have the same issue. And it came down to this issue that feeling that as a Jew, I have a point with God. All the laws I kept, that's more points with God. And all the things I've done in zealousness for God, that's another point with God. Well, Christ comes and Christ paid for my sin, great. That's another point with God. Okay? Paul has to take this away from them, this false confidence they were putting in their heritage and the things that they may have done as being as, as younger. As long as they, they, they trust to that to any extent, they're not going to fully receive what Jesus has done for them. Remember, you have to trust in Jesus alone in your plea bargain. You can't say, I'll add Jesus to this pile of books and I'll submit it to the judge and, you know, there's going to be all these points for me. I'll make it to heaven. It's like, no, forget it. He'll throw it out. If it's not Jesus alone that's sitting on his desk to justify you, you're not going to make it. And that's why Paul is doing what he's doing. So he's relating this experience. He was in the temple, and the Lord appears to him in a vision. So he's been in Jerusalem now, probably witnessing, starting to witness to, you know, his old bodies and everyone he can meet about what Christ has done in his life. The fact Christ is the Messiah. The fact that Christ is the only way to God. And, and Jesus appears to him in the temple saying, they're not going to believe you. They're not going to accept your testimony. You need to leave and go and preach to the Gentiles. I'm going to use your, your, you and your, the message of the gospel to save the Gentiles. Why is it getting them so angry? And why is Paul saying it? Well, think about it. If, if Jesus, the message of Jesus, can bring the Gentiles to God, if it saves them, it means you need nothing else. All you need is the gospel. You, you have nothing that counts with God. You have no heritage. You've, done, you've never kept the law. You have done no good works. And yet you believe the gospel. And it makes you right with God. Then it means that all they have, all their heritage and all their good works and all their keeping of the law is worthless. That's, that's what it means. And that's why it got them so angry. They were not willing to let go of it. That thing that Paul was trying to get them to let go of, they were not willing. They were holding on to it. And that's why they started shouting, said, away with this man, we're not willing to listen to him, 
he doesn't he's not fit to live <laughs> imagine but that's that's how strongly people feel about it people hold on to this feeling that they have that they can justify themselves with god and and i i can appreciate it, it could be sometimes fear it's like it's like you're you're in an ocean and there's the waves and you're afraid of drowning and you're holding to this this uh, floating device but there's a boat over there you just need to swim a couple of feet and you'll have the boat but you're afraid of letting go of that thing that you think is going to save you the problem is it won't you can hold for that for all you want it's not going to save you you're going to die you have to let go and take hold of what god is giving you in christ to be saved well so they reject it and it's an encouragement to me in that there's only so much I can do in sharing the gospel with people. If they refuse the gospel, they reject it, it doesn't make it my fault. But here was, if you would, the, the person who was the best person in sharing the gospel with people at that time and age, to this particular group of people, and he shared it with them, and yet they didn't believe. So it's not, it wasn't Paul's fault. Uh, if we had time, I would take you to a passage in Ezekiel where, where God talks to Ezekiel and tells him, I want you to warn the people of my coming judgment. And if you warn them and they choose not to repent, well, that's fine. Your hands are clean. Their blood is on their hands. But if you don't tell them, well, they're still going to perish, but I'm going to require their blood at your hands. It's so good to have clean hands and not have to worry about someone that God brought into your life that you, you had this treasure in earthen vessels and you wouldn't share it. Much better to share it with them. You know, let them throw it in your face. At least your hands are clean. The other thing he tells me is that you, as the person who heard the message of the gospel, are responsible to responding to it. If, if, if you're not right with God, and you've just heard on how to be right with God, and yet you choose not to for whatever reason, whether you're trying to hold on to your self-righteousness or whether, as a, a guy once told me that I share the gospel with, well, there's still things out that I want to do. And I know if I, if I come to Christ, I won't be able to do them. So I'll wait till I'm older or later or something. Well, whatever the reason is, it's your responsibility. You're the one who has rejected the message, the opportunity that God has given you. And uh, these people have been witnessed to for probably about 40 years or so. Because we know the time where Jerusalem is going to be destroyed is coming close, and that's happened around 70 A.D. Jesus started preaching to them in 30 A.D. That's a period of about 40 years, which is very typical. God tends to use the number 40 as a period of testing. It was like a testing of the nation of Israel. Are they going to come to me? Are they going to respond to the gospel? Are they going to accept the Messiah that I sent them? It was a testing period. They had this 40 years time, and now it's drawing to an end. As far as we know, This is the last time the gospel was preached openly in Jerusalem, as far as we know. And it's possible, you're sitting here, it's possible this is the last time you will hear the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins. He did everything for you. You just need to come to him, and he'll take you to heaven. And if you choose to put it off, this might be your last opportunity to do so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. We consider again that this is your, your great love to us, that uh, you came to earth and you died for our sins and you did everything to save us and you preached the gospel and you sent the gospel and all we have to do is come and accept what you've done for us. And 
We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful salvation. And we pray for anyone here that uh, has not yet accepted this simple, this wonderful, this lovely gospel, that you might move them to do so now. We realize you have to do the work, and we pray that you might do the work in their hearts. We do ask all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.